City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Production Seminar on working in the theater. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And today's seminar is on the production. It's devoted to the new Broadway hit musical, The Full Monty. With the members of its creative and production teams, we will follow the show from its inception as a work for the stage through to the current production on Broadway. I'm Isabel Stevenson. Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing. And I think this seminar will inform and excite you as you see the process that makes a production real. And now, with great pleasure, let me introduce our moderator for the seminar, a veteran producer and president of the American Theatre Wing, Roy A. Sumlio. Roy. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, I'm surrounded by a very prestigious group of, let me introduce you. Uh, on my far right is Tom Hall, one of the producers of The Full Monty. Next to him, next to him is Jack O'Brien, who directed this big hit. And next to me is Charlotte Wilcox, the general manager of the production. And immediately next to me on my left is Lindsay Law, a producer of the show. Next to him is David Yazbek, who wrote the music and the lyrics, and he's seated next to Michael Hartman, who does the public relations for the, the Full Monty. I think that um, I'd like to start by, I guess, at the beginning. So why don't I ask Lindsay, Lindsay, why don't you just tell us how, what are the, the basic roots of the Full Monty for Broadway? Um, I'd been involved, I was the president of Fox Searchlight Pictures, which produced and distributed the film, The Full Monty and thus we owned the rights to it. And within about six or seven weeks of it opening, because it opened almost simultaneously around the world, um, scores of producers in Australia, in France, in Germany, in England, and almost every producer I've ever heard of or met in New York <coughs> City wrote seeking to option the rights to the movie to make it into a musical. So I must admit it was not, the idea did not occur to me, it occurred to all these people who wrote to me. Um, I saw no reason to option it to somebody else, um, I must admit, um, primarily because I had such affection for the piece itself and the idea of letting someone else take this story that we had worked so hard on and maybe ruin it. Um, um, I thought maybe I could ruin it myself. <laughs> um, so uh, I convinced 20th Century Fox, who is not in the theater business at all, theater production business, that it was in their best interest and to protect their valuable property, the Full Monty, to, to um, have us develop a musical of it ourselves. Um, they had been involved in licensing a musical of a hit Tom Hanks movie called Big, um, which had not been so successful in New York, and so they were very shy and wary of perhaps doing this again. Um, my background had been, um, um, I started in the theater before going into movies, so um, 
uh, I knew most of the players, and there was one obvious one that I made the first telephone call to, and that was Jack O'Brien. He and I had done eight or nine productions of plays for television together. Um, we have a long history together. And the, only, the one true thing I knew about musicals was that you can get in a whole lot of trouble on them. Um, <laughs> and I thought, if I'm going to get into a whole lot of trouble, I better be with people that I have a great affection for and trust and respect. Um, and so Jack was the first person I called. Terrific. Did you, were you involved in the film uh, directly, as you are in, in play? Yes. So the, the, script, the, the producer of the film is someone I had made a failed film with called Palookaville, and his next script he developed was called The Full Monty, and he sent it to me. So let's follow the story. You've, you decided that you have to do this, Fox had to do this, with you at the helm, and you called Jack. And you said, I guess you must have said, yes, you're here. <laughs> I, <laughs> said, I said, Lindsay who? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I was, uh, he's right. We've been friends for 25 years, I think, and, and have let blood over many different projects. And uh, um, I was sitting in my office, and the office directly across mine at that time belonged to Tom Hall, who for almost 20 years had been my partner, uh, managing director at the Old Globe Theater, where I'm the artistic director. And we... That's in San Diego. That's in San Diego. And we have, from time to time, developed various projects, both by ourselves and for other people. Uh, Into the Woods started there. Other pieces have come to New York from there. And the minute Lindsay said, would you be interested in this, I thought, boy, would we ever. Uh, I, I loved the movie. I thought it was a perfect idea for a musical. Uh, Tom, at that time, was in the act of leaving his position at the Globe. And his particular knowledge, and he started out actually as my production stage manager in 1978. Terrible. <laughs> I know. And, uh, and his knowledge of converting uh, practical things to stagecraft is uh, almost better than anybody I've ever known. So, and they were friends. We've all gone skiing together. So I thought, well, this is a wonderful opportunity for us all to work together. Uh, and uh, we said, absolutely. We committed ourselves immediately. And then together, we went in search of the writing team. Uh, the first obvious call for me was to Terrence McNally, uh, who uh, can't be here today, but uh, actually had done a play with us at the Globe about 10 or 12 years ago. Also not a success, but let that pass. Uh, but we were great friends, and we'd remain very close friends, and always looked to do something again. It seemed like a natural for Terrence, with his experience in ba back going as far as the Ritz and the early things, which were really funny. I thought that, and also the fact that he seems to be uh, the, the sine qua non of book writers, the librettists on Broadway right now, it seemed to be the natural choice, so I called him. He said yes immediately. And then we went on a search for David Yazbeck. Well, David, I think um, it's uh, fair for you to tell the story of how you came aboard. Uh, yeah, well, they found me uh, through uh, a somewhat circuitous route. They, they, what I've been told is that they were looking for uh, someone who sort of thinks out of the box as a composer. And uh, they went to uh, Adam Gettle. Uh, who really does think out of the box and who's probably as close to a genius as you'll find these days uh, among composers, but who, uh, for one reason or another, didn't think it was the right project for him. 
In fairness, uh, excuse me, David, he was at the Globe at the time doing Floyd Collins, Collins. which we were oh, producing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. And so it... W so it's just because proximity. He, happened, he walked by the office. I <laughs> said, <laughs> 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 That's what's the so first composer to, to show up. Being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly Turns out it wasn't the right time. Well, he generously um, passed them on to uh, the less handsome and, and less uh, well-known uh, David Yazbek. And, um, that was uh, then. That, well, uh, I'm not any more handsome than I was then, believe me. Uh, he, he, uh, he and I were in a band together years ago. He played bass uh, and sang, and I played whatever I play and sang, and there was a drummer, and uh, we've always admired each other. And uh, he saw that I could do this project. And Jack, I think Jack called me first. He did. And boy, did he, I mean, he, he didn't really have to, but he hard sold it. I mean, <laughs> you know, he was so enthusiastic about, about the idea. In fact, the thing he kept saying was, it's scary, isn't it? <laughs> Meaning, it's such a great idea, it's scary, but I just found it scary. Um, <laughs> just the idea of embarking on a, on a Broadway musical for the first time. Uh, and my first reaction was, uh, it lasted about three seconds, was, uh, another musical based on another hit film, you know. And then, you know, two seconds later, after I had <laughs> come to my senses, I realized it was a great idea, a great story, uh, great characters, and uh, characters that I could write for, musically and lyrically. Uh, and then I started getting very excited about it. Well, now we have two other uh, people on our panel. Uh, who uh, we, we don't haven't talked about. Tom, did, were you responsible for uh, bringing about the general manager? I guess directly I was. I, I, um, when Lindsay called and, and asked me to join him as a producer, um, I'd had uh, really great experiences here in New York working on uh, several other projects, Damn Yankees, uh, Play On, yet another noted non-successful production, but one that we had a, had a great time putting together and that we believed in. and. Um, so he called, and essentially our discussion was about how to put the rest of the support team together. And there was just no question in my mind, there's only one general manager for me in this city, and that was Charlotte Wilcox. So I, I called Charlotte, who, as I recall, actually put us on hold for a bit because she was considering other <laughs> opportunities. She'd so worked with us before. She knew it was no good. <laughs> talk about hard sell. So I, we kept talking to her, and I, I called Lindsay and said, I think you need to get in here and... and Push this a little bit, and we finally were very successful and happy um, to uh, to coerce her into joining us. And hopefully, she's glad she did. What uh, <laughs> what made you what made you decide, uh, Charlotte? I know, I guess that you've done probably some of the most important musicals on Broadway. You have a depth of experience. I won't embarrass you by reciting twenty of them. But <laughs> what made you what made you agree to come aboard on this one? I know you got all kinds of offers. What well, actually, the minute that Tom called me, I wanted to be aboard because the, you hear the title alone and you know that it's going to be exciting and thrilling. I, too, love the movie, and I also had worked with a lot of the team and love those. I didn't really put them on hold. I had agreed to do another project in the exact same uh, time period. And a few years before, when I found myself doing six or seven shows at a time, I promised myself I would not do that anymore. And so the thought of doing two back-to-back 
was not great. But um, fortunately for me, Tom and Lindsay were willing to hang in there while my schedule sorted out and the other project did ultimately end up canceling. So I, by then, was already hooked and in loved, and I would have done both if I'd had to, but I was thrilled to be able to concentrate on this one. I'm sure it's just an accident that you committed the day after we'd done the workshop presentation and you were able to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> well, and Why Charlotte? Why did you settle in on Charlotte? Uh, well, I'd had great experiences working with Charlotte, and, and um, without a doubt, she's the most uh, detailed uh, general manager I've ever worked with. Whenever you call Charlotte, the answer's always there. If it's not there, she gets back to you right away. But probably most importantly, I think working in the theater is a struggle in and of itself. And after 25 years, and Jack and I have worked together for, uh, I guess, 22, one of the things we decided early on is we wanted to work with people that we cared about. I think Lindsay alluded to this. You get to a situation when things are not going well, and if there aren't people you can turn to and depend upon who frankly have a great sense of humor, uh, as well as knowledge and skill, it can just be debilitating. So it, it was just that all those things put together, um, Charlotte was just the one that we, there's, we there's were There's also that thing in terms of... Um, um, general managers in the same way like in film line producers is another word but the, the people who are actually managing the day-to-day -day and the finances sometimes take the attitude of um, of being a sergeant I mean being unpleasant in terms of saying no I mean quite often Charlotte's in a position of saying we can't afford to do it this way um, you've got to look at it again you we can't we don't have this much money budgeted there are ways to do that that are in which you convey to the person you're saying no to an understanding of why and inspiring them to come up with another solution. And then there are people who do it and just, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not a very warm way of doing it. And in Basically. essence, we're a team and you don't suddenly want your technical crew or your designers suddenly not having fun working on your show because the general manager is just, uh, uh. Um, there are ways of saying no. Um, Charlotte has an unbelievably warm and understanding <laughs> way of saying no. Yeah. How about Michael Hartman? Uh, how did, uh, who brought Michael on? Uh, actually, no, no actually Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay Michael, and I... Are you, sh are you sure you're aboard? Yeah, uh, there were some uh, pictures, actually, that yeah. I... They <laughs> blacked <laughs> out. <laughs> we, we, were, we actually received um, recommendations for press agents, uh, several of them, and um, Lindsay and I had breakfast with Michael and his partner, John Barlow, and um, it was very clear, I think, to both of us. Instantly. From almost before the coffee was put on the table that that we were going to get along that we were um, very clearly that Michael uh, and John frankly were people that we could work with and we spent about an hour an hour and a half together uh, and as we were as we left the restaurant Lindsay and I were walking down the street and there was a quiet awkward moment and I turned to him I said you know I don't know how you feel about this, but I would have just hired him on the spot. And Lindsay said, well, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to step on your toes. <laughs> so we went, to a, we went to a phone, the first one we could find, and called their office. I think probably got you just as you walked back. Yeah, and we were on the other end of the block holding each other's hands saying, God, we have got to get this show. <laughs> <laughs> so now, <clears throat> what, um, what, I, what I understand here, and you haven't quite said it, but we all realize that the theater is totally a collaborative process. And you've selected everybody who you, you all felt could successfully collaborate. What was the next step? I mean, first of all, we all know you there have are, to have there, money. There are, there are some steps that actually precede some of these steps, oh. which was in terms of, go, which goes back to, to Jack, Tom, David, Terrence, and myself in terms of coming up with how are we going to approach this? How are we going to approach writing it? Um, and under what schedule? Um, the, 
The advantage this musical had that, uh, you know, one would wish all producers have this advantage is we didn't have to raise money. Um, Fox was backing it. And what Terrence, who's done this a lot, um, kept suddenly having to understand was, so this is like Rodgers and Hammerstein get together and they say, so what are we going to write next season? <laughs> I mean, so we just do it. Meaning a lot of producers are working on a lot of different projects and they're all in different stages of trying to find the money or having backers auditions and meanwhile then the composer let's say says listen I, I, I've got a gig in Munich I've got to go there for six months because I've got to make a living so you lose that six months and then the book writer is doing a new play at ACT in San Francisco and you lose him for four months so when they say that there are certain musicals that take four and five years to develop it's because there's no focus to that team because they've got to they've got to do things to stay alive we we kept saying the money is here so you guys just need to sit down and write and the minute you're finished writing we'll put it on and it was, I think, an enormous freedom for everyone to know, here are the dates. Here's the first workshop, then let's do a dance workshop, then let's do a second music, book, and lyrics workshop, and then here's the date at the Globe, and here's the aim for New York City. And it was extremely clear. It was about an 18-month period. And that's all each of us did during that 18 months, as opposed to having to, okay, we have to do a backers audition now. There's a guy in from General Electric who likes Broadway musicals. Let's show it to him. Um, we, didn't have that, we didn't have that burden, and it was, Careful, I must Lance, say. we may need them now. <laughs> <laughs> the lights are going to go you off. Have, did you have an open checkbook? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, for know, a long time, I didn't have any checkbooks. So I would <laughs> hardly call it open. No, we, we created a budget, and we uh, watched it very carefully, and uh, any overages had to be, which there were very few, I'm happy to say, um, had to be um, run by various people. Mostly Lindsay would make the decisions, just like any show. The fact that the money was there just made it easier to begin uh, and keep it going, but it didn't change how we ran the show in any way. So you had the same constraints as if you were doing this on, like any other commercial production. I ask that because we've talked to um, uh, Disney, uh, uh, who uh, does not disclose their numbers, and I, I know that Fox does not as well, but um, and they said that their uh, budgets were as strict as if they were operating uh, under a limited partnership. And we've also spoken with the not-for-profit when uh, when the contact people came and we asked them their numbers, and they said, well, uh, they are uh, equivalent to uh, the same as a commercial producer. It's always troublesome because we, one thinks, well, when there's the money is there, then anybody can create a show as long as they have enough money. And I think what you're saying is that uh, that wasn't the case here. You had a specific amount, and you had to live by that. Absolutely. And if you, if you, in this case, we were very fortunate because we knew a lot about the project, so we were able to put line items uh, down with a dollar figure and know that we were fairly close to reality. And we just had to make sure then that we stuck to them. But like any show, uh, I enjoy the figures, and I pride myself on keeping within them. So I don't need someone to tell me, you don't want to go over budget on this or that. That's what, I, that's what my job is. That's why I'm there. I think also the origins of this go back to the fact that, that Fox, as Lindsay said, is not in the business of creating theater. This project for all of us came about because Fox trusted Lindsay and his work with them. Um, I, for one, felt a, a, a very strong sense that, that we had to earn that trust on, on all of our behalves, but certainly Lindsay had made this happen for everybody. Um, I remember we had an early conversation where he asked me, how much is this going to cost? And we had a conversation, and I gave him what I thought was a reasonable number. And at that time, Jack and I were having discussions, and I guess Lindsay was involved about this rather simple, fairly small musical. So we came to a number which 
in retrospect, was probably not enough, but we ultimately, that's what we told Fox, and that's what we produced the show for. Um, but, but even to this day, the, the executives at Fox are film producers, and they look to Lindsay specifically, but all of us, to help them understand how this works. And so we have, I think, an inordinate responsibility uh, to be responsive to them. So in many respects, I think there were, I felt a little more pressure on this project to stay within uh, the framework that we had set out originally so that we didn't do any damage to that relationship that he had or to some future possibilities that might happen along the way. So, I know we were always, uh, many of us in the theatrical community were very disappointed when you deserted Broadway, what was it, four or five years ago? Uh, after, and because your PBS American Playhouse series was, was wonderful. You uh, developed many writers and it was a great showcase for all of us. And now you seem to have redeemed yourself by doing what is really your first Broadway show. Is, um, it, is it not? Uh, I was actually involved in uh, American Playhouse, which I ran before Fox Search. We financed um, A Walk in the Woods on Broadway. Um, but that was a very different, that was a two-character play. But you did that? With scenery that didn't move. This is very different. <laughs> <laughs> but did, did, did you do Walk in the Woods at, uh, at the Globe? No, that oh. was at uh, the La Jolla Playhouse. Oh, the La Jolla. Right. So now you've got your team together, and it's I want to know where the money came from. 20th Century Fox, um, um, which had been the, uh, which owned Fox Searchlight, which I used to run, um, paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as Tom was saying, it, in, indeed, we gave them a number early on, and as long as we never touched that number, meaning as long as we never asked for more money, I knew they'd never get in our hair. The minute. There are lots of accounts at a company's largest 20th Century Fox. The last thing we wanted was suddenly 20 people flying to New York to provide oversight because suddenly they must be in trouble. They need more money. So we were, we stayed assiduously on budget. Um, and it is to this day within dimes and nickels, but it is absolutely on a very modest, for a Broadway musical, very modest budget. Well, that's to all your credit, I'm sure. I think the key we all know is that waste is what runs up the, uh, the production costs. And I presume then. You had a little waste. That's why I want to hear more about how you developed. You, you, you mentioned that you decided to go to the Globe and then into New York. How did that come about? Whose decision was that? Or did you have options? Well, in terms of just by virtue of Jack being the first person I called, helped set up a variety of fairly obvious options. A, the Globe has done a number of productions that were eyeing Broadway if they were successful at the Globe. So they had a history of working as a nonprofit institution. They had a history of working with commercial production. Um, we knew it would be no problem because we've all worked together so frequently. But it seemed to make sense. That, uh, watching, again, it's just, it's like learning from history. I mean, musicals are extremely tricky things to get right. And in these days of, of the internet and everything else, you want to try to get them right away from the prying eyes of a New York City audience. Um, and I think actually one of, the, one of the things that Tom and I, I think, are proudest of is the schedule we put this on, which allowed the group of people to never feel the pressure of, oh my God, I've got to write a song tonight and tomorrow night. How Prince is going to be in the audience? Wait, I um, I felt that <laughs> pressure a couple of times. Yeah, but you did. But you didn't have you Not had it in New York. But you didn't have it in New York. Well, that's true. And yeah. if you didn't meet and that you know deadline, you still had two more months. It's true. Close and any pressure you feel in San Diego, it's it's more like the pressure of a nice massage because <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she exactly, <laughs> but also yeah, perhaps a little more punishing. <laughs> that's very. That's pretty much why we did 
put the pressure on you there because we knew if it weren't if we didn't get it done there. Right. Right. And now we all know right. what the pressure I on 49th Street is like. It's just it's. it's we, we had the there. goal of, of of the very first preview in New York. If it had to be, we could have critics at it. That was the goal, which was um, to have the show absolutely right in San Diego. So we all, I mean, after it previewed in San Diego and then opened in San Diego. The entire creative team came back to New York, actually, just to be away from that experience and locked ourselves up in a room. And Terrence and David and Jack and Jerry Mitchell, the choreographer, and Tom and myself just went through, okay, what's working, what isn't, and what should we do? And Terrence and David went off and created new scenes, and David replaced several songs. We went back to San Diego, put them in, um, and there were still things to do, but we still had time to do them. And again, as Terrence would say, without, there was still two months before we were even coming to New York City. What was that time to well, the first workshop was, uh, I mean, just going through the whole schedule. October of 1999, we got together 12 actors. Um, <coughs> there was a full book, um, and about half the songs in October, mm -hmm. two-thirds of the songs. Well, actually, August, we started in August, we where were. we, the four of us, and Terrence and Jerry Mitchell, our choreographer, locked ourselves in a room in a hotel and read through the book initially, Terrence's first draft. Was that August? And it was, yeah. yeah. And I August thought we, we, we were sorry, truly brilliant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's where we started. That was the first time we really looked at the material. Right. Is that when you did the auditions? No. Um, much later. Yeah. yeah much later. Um, the first workshop was basically cast w using, uh, working with Ted Sperling, who by this time had joined us as musical director. Um, Ted and Jerry and Jack basically um, going through a variety of people they actually knew. The first workshop was, we didn't really audition for the first workshop. Mm -hmm. um, that was in October, two weeks, um, with a performance of it on the last day. So that was like a, that was basically a year before we opened. Yeah, That's right. Correct. Now One year. Who came to that workshop? 37 people. And yeah, as an audience. As an audience. Actually, yeah, yeah we meant? just, Basically, yeah. we invited friends, friends. It was to give us input on what's working, what isn't working. And we, people we almost that we didn't invite anyone, I remember, business. and then we decided to no, bring a few people it. just yeah. to see. And it was focused only on the, on the book and the music and the lyrics. It wasn't about staging. Jack and Jerry weren't trying to get them on their feet. It was about listening to the material, what scenes are working, what aren't. Is this song in the right place? Isn't that risky, though, inviting friends? Are they going to be that candid with you? I mean, depends well, on the friends. You should yeah, need, yeah, our friends are. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any friends now. When one says one's inviting friends, you, you certainly you invite people whose opinions you respect, who you know are basically supportive types, so that they're not wishing you ill. But on the other hand, there are people who are going to give you a straight answer. Absolutely. And there were some pretty tough people in that crowd, as well as you know, significant others and people who would tend to want to like your work. But uh, it was very representative. And it was very clear from the opening moment that something amazing was going on. I mean, uh, I, I rarely felt so positive about anything I've ever worked on, uh, even from its inception. But uh, we, you do wonder when you're sitting, just a few of you in the room, and, you're, and we all... We all fall in love with our work. We're meant to do that. That if you don't make love to the work, you can't expect it to live. And so naturally, eventually, you use, lose objectivity. But in, in so far as it was possible, we kept sort of casting a very sort of jaded eye on it and thinking, no, this really seems right. The minute those 37 people who were disparate, who came from different uh, 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 perspectives on the whole situation, the minute they came together, we knew that this was alive. And we had work to do, we knew that, but we knew it was work we could do. 
Did you actually ask them uh, one on one at one point what they thought? No, I don't remember that. We 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 each canvassed the people that we had invited there and, and put all the opinions together uh, uh, afterwards. We didn't really have an in-depth sort of analysis, but we all canvassed the people that we were representing, and and we found that almost all of the impressions were the same. It's also, I mean, by virtue of the fact that it's a comedy, um, I mean, half of our own judgment of how is this going. It was easy to make because, you know, if they're laughing, that's good. If they're sitting on their hands, that's bad. Um, and they laughed from beginning to end. Sure and we yes. went, oh, this is funny. And, 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 the, and, the, and the treat was also, and that was the treat of, of David's work, was realizing that the humor didn't stop when you got to the songs. Um, that the humor continues um, and builds, uh, that the songs are every bit as funny and every bit as much an important source of the humor and affection you feel for these guys as is the book. And that um, workshop, that, that was the first indication to me that I was capable of writing songs that made, that made you laugh. I mean, I know I, I could write songs that make me laugh. Um, and, uh, but in my, in my um, more marginal career as, a, as a, uh, uh, someone who performs my own stuff, my own music, I play, I play in a loud club. Occasionally there's a funny lyric, and I never hear laughter because it, it's loud and I'm singing. <laughs> And in this, in this was really the first time I heard any, an audience of any size laughing at lyrics that were supposed to be funny and of mine. And it, uh, it was really important for me because it made me realize from then on out that I could go a certain route and know that it would probably work. Tell a bit about your background because this is your first Broadway effort. And you mentioned clubs and so forth. Uh, but we don't really know a lot about you. We're going to hear a lot about you in the future. We know that. From me, you will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if our publicist does his job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the best, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but uh, no, what, um, uh, you told us that you, you came on the recommendation of Adam Gettle, and I, uh, I wonder if he's sorry. But in any event, <laughs> in any event what, uh, what do you, why do you suppose that uh, you were so suited for this? Uh, I think I think I was suited for this project because I have a pretty contemporary musical voice. Um, that that's as a composer of music, uh, I, I I listen to and um, and enjoy a lot of different types of music, uh, and can tap into pretty up to the minute kind of stuff because I listen to it and 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 play it uh, in my band. Uh, your band is called Yazbek. It's called, right? yeah, yeah, it's called Yazbek. Well, we didn't know that was your name for a long yeah, time. We thought yeah. that, was um, that was the record label's idea. Uh, it was called, um, well, I won't even tell you what it's called because it's, it's, it's a little off color. But uh, <laughs> What's um, the next step? The next you had all those people and you listened to all of them. When, then what happened? How do you get to the theater, the Broadway theater? How do I get to the Broadway Theater? No, all of you. Well, after this October workshop, um, we then, Jerry Mitchell did a workshop with just dancers so that he could begin to invent, I mean, he had a very difficult job. He had to invent a vocabulary of dance for a group of characters who are in no way supposed to be able to dance. So he brought together a group of dancers for two weeks um, and worked with them on, indeed, inventing uh, um, a dance vocabulary that would make sense for these 
for these men. Is it true that you use Jerry because of his uh, background in doing the uh, strip teases every year, Broadway Bears? No, that, that's, that's an added plus, but actually, I mean, I, I think just He's earlier that year, Jack had just seen the revival of Follies out in Which New Jersey. Which knocked me out. He did a gorgeous, gorgeous job on the Paper Mill Playhouse version of Follies. I'd known Jerry for a long time. Uh, uh, Manny Eisenberg introduced us when he was doing Jerome Robbins Broadway and said to me, this guy should choreograph for you. We had lunch, we liked each other. Oddly enough, we're both Michigan boys. He's from Paw Paw and I'm from Saginaw. So we had a complete language, all of our own. And, uh, and, uh, we, and I, I had tried to, to work with him before. As, as a matter of fact, Tom and I um, did a musical version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas for the Globe uh, three years ago, and Jerry was meant to choreograph it, uh, was all set to choreograph it, uh, when he got Your Good Man Charlie Brown, which was a Broadway credit, and he couldn't afford not to take it, and I understood that. So we had, we'd been aiming at each other for quite some time. So, uh, and it just seemed perfect for him, as it did for Terrence, that this would have, was a piece that was energetic, witty, um, he's very good with working with actors, who are not necessarily dancers, and, and making them comfortable. And there was this added thing about the fact that he's taking clothes off more people than Minsky. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, broad, with Broadway Cares, this remarkable thing that he's done for 10 years, which raises money for uh, support of, of AIDS. Uh, he, you know, he's turned something that was just a cottage industry into something that now is being seriously considered by Las Vegas. And so it seemed that that was, again, the perfect uh, collusion of, of talents. Right. He's extremely, I mean, you know, he's talented. You know, he did the, uh, choreograph the American Theatre Wing's Tony Awards right. for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we oh, were he's great. very, you know, it, it comes in in, very, in a short time as a concept and gets it done. Right. Yeah. Right. And also, this wonderful spirit of, I can do this, this will be fun. Uh, you know, there's, there's never a disparaging word. There's never uh, a, a furrowed brow. He just goes at it, and he's a delight to be around. And we've, we found him infectious, and he brought to the table a world, not only a world of experience, but uh, uh, just so much verve and excitement that it was irresistible. Okay, so let's keep the thread going. We now have had uh, Jerry's workshop uh, with the dancers, and then eventually Somehow you got to a... Then we did one more workshop in February of this year, of 2000. Where people um, did come. Where we did, A, we invited back five of the cast members from the October workshop. Um, we started casting for the other parts. David was writing um, new songs for this workshop. Terrence had changed the book considerably for this workshop. And we were doing this workshop also with the goal, of my, in, goal in mind of having a performance, again, just actors sitting around, a, uh, uh, around pro, uh, you know, lecterns, but having a, a performance of the material um, primarily for the three main theater owners in New York City. So th this one actually had a dual purpose. It was to continue working on the book. Um, it was to see if this was the right cast, and hopefully it was to entice one of these three theater owners to Where give us a theater. Where was the workshop held? Uh, uh, 42nd Street between 10th and 11th Avenues, which was definitely a sign, we thought to ourselves, of how we had come a long way. In February, on 42nd Street between 10th and 11th in this terrible, airless rehearsal room. This September, when we were rehearsing for the Broadway production, we were in the beautiful new 42nd Street studios that um, um, Mrs. Duke helped finance. So we thought this is definitely a step up. How, how expensive is the workshop? Um, less than 
It, the two workshops together were less than... must have been inexpensive. <laughs> it was very inexpensive. <laughs> we have and we haw because we don't give out our figures. Can we say but it's very expensive? No, it's very, in, no, it's, no. It's very it's inexpensive. Very inexpensive uh, compared, to, compared to others that you've done, would you say this is more modest? I would say given the fact that there were uh, really uh, three workshops and a regional theater production, very modest. Plus the fact that we, we knew what we wanted to do with the workshop. Um, uh, I had no doubt that Jerry could do the choreography. I had no doubt that I knew how to block the scenes. So we didn't, and we weren't auditioning that material for somebody to give us money. So it was totally concentrated on how good the book was sustaining itself and how the, the musical numbers were fitting together and pacing themselves. We had a very specific goal in mind. Uh, and so we cut away a lot of things that I think trimmings that some people have to do when they're auditioning material for producers. Uh, gee, what's it going to look like on its feet? Well, then you have to get up and do a couple of scenes. Well, we didn't do any of that. We concentrated on the, on the, on the acting and the, and the singing, but basically the creative material. That was our job. The, the, the important thing, too, to note, especially in terms of musicals, um, um, all of us had spent a, a goodly amount of time before anyone sat down to write, agreeing exactly on what we all wanted to create. I mean, that there'd be one vision of how we were telling the story. Yes, there was a movie there, there was a plot, and there were some characters. But what we were going to do with it um, um, was something we spent a great deal of time talking about. And, you know, when you suddenly could get conceivably get lost, or maybe there's an audience one night that isn't so much in love with you as they were the night before, it's easy to question what are we doing and yet all we ever had to do for ourselves was go back to what did we set out to do is this accomplishing it or not is this the story we want to tell and that was always the, the guiding principle in terms of there was one single vision for this story as opposed to five or six different ones well how far afield are you from the film i think we should know in other words we know it's the same story but how much of the words are the same and, and what's new there's a dozen lines of dialogue, maybe, on, in the Broadway stage that are in the movie. Um, the rest is all Terrence. But the shape, the intent, the, uh, the skeletal structure of how the story moves, how it focuses on six guys and their specific dilemmas, they all pretty much parallel the, the film. Uh, even, even the shape of, uh, of how the story progresses parallels the film. It has a lot of richness added because now it's America as, as opposed to Sheffield, England, it's in Buffalo. We, are, we add musical numbers, we develop the women more. Terence created a character named Jeanette who is the rehearsal accompanist because in the film they rehearsed to uh, recorded music. Can't do that on a Broadway show. And so he invented this, this piano player who comes along, who brings a world of experience with her different from what the boys have. So there's, there, there were wonderful appliques on mm. top of the structure, but the structure was basically very faithful, I, I think. I think there's screens. a whole level of, of uh, delight that audiences get out of seeing what Terrence has done with some of the familiar right. elements mm -hmm. of the movie. Just, it, it's almost like these little punchlines in that he's put this here instead of here, you know. That was one of the, the first questions we were asking ourselves. Uh, at the beginning of the process was audiences who see, who've seen the movie, and that's almost everybody, are going to expect this moment. How are we going to do it differently? And Terrence just came up with, with the, uh, the best, I think, the best way to do it. In well, as an audience member, I can tell you, I just sat there and watched a delightful, wonderful, funny 
musical. And it made no difference to me that I had remembered seeing a film way back because it didn't parallel it, but I, it, it did have the same skeletal feeling. But I think that's what's so smart of you people to know that that's all you needed. And then you put it into the genre, which is which is why it's so successful I, today. I think that's true. It's sort of a running gag too, because people come out of the, the theater and and walk up to Lindsay, oftentimes rather apologetic to say, "I liked it so much more than the movie," <laughs> and we all think it's fine. We're that's where we are now. But it's it, I think it is true. We went through the same experience actually with Damn Yankees not too many years ago, and the idea there was to make it more contemporary. But I think Jack said early on, we want the audiences who saw it in its original form to feel like they're seeing the same musical and yet contemporize it. And we, we were successful there, and I think this has the same impact. If you saw the movie, I think you're delighted with the musical because it's all the elements are there, not necessarily in the same place or framework. If you didn't see the movie, you don't need it as a reference point. Uh, audiences come who have never seen the film and just yeah. have a great time. So mm -hmm. it works either way. Well, let's, let's keep the story going, though, in, in, in the, the making of this great musical. Uh, we've got you now to the point where you know what you want to do, and I think you're up to the point, I guess, where you're beginning to uh, cast, are you not? We, we've now completed the third workshop. Um, that was about 100 people came to the final right. performance mm -hmm. of that. Um, and. Uh, and that was screamingly funny. That we, I must say, we really did know what we had at that point. And we, and the three theater owners, were madly trying to figure out, you know, which of their shows might soon not be around any longer, so they could offer us a theater. So it accomplished all the goals we wanted. Um, and we had six weeks. We had a lovely little party at Sardi's to thank our cast and said, "We'll see you in six weeks." Um, and we went into rehearsal in San Diego, um, bringing everyone from New York out to San Diego. We went into rehearsal for. Um, a June 1st opening at the Old Globe Theatre. Well, so what was the time lapse between performances? You started rehearsals on June 1st, but when had you completed your... The workshop was completed at the end of February. The cast took off the month of March. Um, and then April 6th, I believe, the six men went into rehearsal for a week. And then the whole rest of the cast joined them a week later. And that was the that's the cast that's appearing on Broadway today? Mm -hmm. that's right. Yep. Uh, Jack, why don't you tell us how you got to that cast? Well, part of it was the remarkable thing that happened, uh, you know, sometimes fate is kind to you. The very first reading, as we say, uh, we sort of combed through our, our phone books and said, well, let's get these people to read it. And a few people we didn't know, and a couple people we did. I mean, uh, uh, Ted Sperling added people, I added people, Terrence had suggested people. And out of those f original people, five of those people are still in the company. Uh, nobody but those five people have ever read or sung those parts. That was the very first workshop. Then Jerry Mitchell did his dance workshop. We learned more about the vocabulary that he needed to, to explore when, when actually, realistically, these guys only dance once. They dance at the end of the show. We know that. That's a given. So how are you going to keep a musical going with its energy and, and creativity when you can't use dance steps? And that was what that workshop was for. And then by the time we got to the February workshop, we had auditioned extensively and we found a few more people. And I think with one exception, which was the role of Jeanette, all of those people, no, two exceptions, and, uh, and, and Pam, because that character kept changing and changing and changing. Uh, all of those people came to San Diego, and there were just two more to add. So it was an accumulative thing, and the nice thing about it was we were building on a kind of style of 
I was, de I was determined that this would not be writ large in its performance, that the performers would be natural and real and affecting, not, not punched, not larger than life, but true to life. And so once we began to put those people together, the chemistry was quite, uh, uh, you knew when you had the right blend. And uh, we were, again, very lucky, very, very lucky. Well, you, how about the rest of the creative team? You added, you mentioned that uh, you've got your musical conductor involved very early. How about your uh, designers, and how did you come about selecting them? We, uh... And, who, and, and could you, did you have any difficulty making the deals? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we agreed on John Arnone to do the sets. Uh, he did extensive research, went up to Buffalo, took hideous pictures. <laughs> um, that made us laugh. And uh, uh, so we agreed with John. John brought us Hal Binkley, uh, a collaborator um, uh, that he's worked with, lighting designer that, that we hadn't worked with. But uh, I do believe in um, the designers supporting each other and knowing that there's uh, a shortcut. There's language that they, that they know how to speak with each other. It sort of facilitates things. So we were very happy with that. Bob Morgan is a costume designer that Tom and I have worked with at the Old Globe Theatre for the better part of maybe 20 years. He's done a, a, a plethora of things for me, including, in fact, most recently in New York, Pride's Crossing that I did at Lincoln Center. He did that show as well. And we wanted, in the mix, because it was going to be a Globe production, we wanted some of our own personnel involved in that just to, to keep the familial feeling with it. So that's how we got all of those people. I think that's everybody. And Charlotte, as far as uh, making deals with all these people? Yeah, this project has been uh, blessed from the first day. And the basic structures of the deals, there we, uh, when I got first involved, there were some pieces in place that should have made it very difficult to make deals. In fact, uh, Lindsay and Tom and I would talk about how this is going to be impossible. They just won't stand for it. It won't be done. But it was blessed, and we made the deals very simply. How long it took to get those deals executed was another matter. Once you get lawyers involved, yeah. um, uh, suddenly you find many points that you didn't know that were there. But in general, it was very um, easy. And everybody fell in line. Everybody, everybody yeah. who heard about this project was thrilled to want to be on it. And there was a fairness in the thinking behind why this person gets X, why this person gets Y. I mean, there was, there was intelligence behind why that decision was made eventually regardless of how many lawyers want to dive in, eventually everyone suddenly goes, yes, that makes sense. We'll agree to that. I'd like to go back to the unglamorous. What does a general manager do? What's a, what Whatever is a general manager? the producer manager? tells them to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot more. <laughs> Starting from that, you've been told you're a general manager. Well, what is a general manager? In this case, um, I worked very closely with Lindsay and Tom. They, they had already told Fox what the show was going to cost, so <laughs> I had to make a budget that would um, come out that way. And is that basically where you start as a general manager? That is basically where you start as a general manager. You've got to start with the figures. That's, once you're hired, that's the first thing everybody wants to know. So that we did, and it worked out. And then we started um, approaching people and making the deals. The creative team had been decided upon. Some of the deals were done. So we started making the other deals. And once you do that, and someone's hired, they start doing their work, and that then generates my work. And I think the most important thing a general manager can do is stay in tune with what the creative team is doing. You're really there to serve them. To, if they're going down the wrong road um, and you know that you're going to end up not having the money for something they want, you want to let them know that real early before they've invested a lot of time in something that uh, you know the producers can't or don't want to afford. And so it's really 
hearing and talking to people and knowing where they're coming from, seeing when there's going to be a problem, subverting it if you can, and when you see something that they need that isn't provided for, figuring out how you can do it. It's taking your cues from everybody else. But it's safe to say, I think, the general manager oversees the day-to-day -day operation of a Broadway musical, financially and in terms of the logistics from top to bottom. So Charlotte's job um, is very much hands-on, making sure that everything from the company manager through to the carpentry staff and the electricians are getting their job done on time, on budget, and then serving the interests of the, the creative team at the same time. And I think letting us know, which she does brilliantly, when we need to intercede and help people understand where there may be problems or where we're looking at an issue that might, uh, might need for all of us to sit down and talk about. So it's, uh, it's, it's the, the pivot point, I think, in the middle of a production that is vital. And did she come in at the very beginning of this? We hired Charlotte very early on. Um, in, in, when we were actually in San Diego, I, since I had managed that theater for 20 years, essentially, uh, I've never had a general manager. I functioned there as a producer and a general manager. And fortunately, my guess about the budget was pretty correct. So <coughs> we didn't have that problem. But so Charlotte and I have a mutual language, I think, that works very well. And, and also, Lindsay's had a lot of hands-on work. So uh, I think this, is a this ended up being a very uh, good collaboration. Charlotte, as a general manager, also, we're in her office constantly. <laughs> Actually, her very small office, Lindsay and I, are always in there taking up space, but we like, I think, to have Charlotte involved um, on many questions that become issues of producing as well, because she has such a, a smart ability to, to sort of throw things back Are you now a production team? Well, this certainly is the team that has produced the show, right. but I don't think we have any immediate plans to pick it up and do it again. Uh, that's what <laughs> I want That's what you're talking about. I think I, I keep saying, you know, to get these two... Uh, 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 to whom you are responsible and be able to have a, a, a climate that is intelligent and fair and reasonable and creative is a rare thing in the theater and it would be wonderful to think that they're going to go on and do all my work <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't think they are I don't think yet we'll ever get him back into a theater well, right Michael, Michael tell us about when keep us busy for a while anyway let's hope so tell us about when at what point the uh, public relations begins or, or began on this show uh, well the public relations for me begins right after the meeting with the producers and this show has been an absolute dream for a press agent. I could not imagine having more fun, uh, both with the production itself and with the players, which makes a huge difference, as Tom said. But something that I like to do is when I first meet with the producers of a show, I like to go in with a list of questions that I have. And it generally turns out that the list of questions that I have for the producers about the show and the specifics of the show are the questions that the press has and that the public has. So. I always keep that on hand from the very first meeting because hopefully after the, after the first meeting with the producers, the answers to the questions that you have are encouraging. And you think, okay, there's a lot that I can do here. And that was certainly the case with Lindsay and Tom after the first meeting. But it sort of, uh, it, it came in waves. I think we decided first off that there was no need to rush into announcing that the show was happening, announcing the, the plans to move to Broadway. I think we agreed from, from the get-go that we wanted to keep this quiet. We wanted to do the work quietly and off the radar uh, so that people could concentrate on the work and not concentrate on eyes from the East Coast being on uh, the creative team on the West Coast. And I think we successfully did that. I think it was also the timing was really, it was fortuitous for us because as the show uh, began previews, uh, rehearsals and into previews, 
in San Diego was just about the time that the Tony Awards were exploding and the Tony race was on here in New York. So everybody's pretty busy, which was very lucky. Mm -hmm. um, shortly after the Tony Awards were over, we opened in San Diego and uh, we had a few people from New York come out and see the show and were really wild about it. So that helped a lot early on. But then once again, we decided let's, let's have those few seeds be planted and let's leave it alone for a while. So I think we pretty much left it alone throughout the summer. Um, and we thought that the, the best way to approach the show, there's a, a name recognition with, from, from the film, obviously, that everybody knows generally what the story is going to be. So there wasn't an education process like there is on some brand new shows where you have to educate them of what it's about, uh, what the tone of it's going to be. Is it a comedy? Is it a, you know, is it, is it a serious tone? Uh, we didn't have any of that work to do because people generally understood it already. So that was, that was very lucky. And I think that we really held back until previews began. And then once previews began, we opened the gates. We said, now we can do this because now people can see it. We'll be quiet until people can actually come in and word of mouth can start spreading and supplement whatever publicity we do and whatever advertising we do. And people can start talking about the show on their own terms. And I think that that's worked really well. And I think people, one of the things that you said about people coming in and seeing the show and, and um, it, it speaking to them so uh, resonantly is uh, the fact that it's moved from Sheffield, England to Buffalo, New York. I think people are wild about seeing a story about real people, real Americans, um, working class Americans that are flawed, but they absolutely fall in love with. Um, so when you have people coming to the theater and, and laughing hysterically every night, it makes my job so much easier. But it's, uh, th th there's something remarkable, though, that, that, that he pulled off, which is um, managing, managing the information that the press wants. Just because they want it doesn't mean you have to give it to them. And knowing, even if you have nervous producers, when to hold everything back is, is uh, an, an, an enormous skill. Because it's easy to impress you, the producers, by get, just getting tons of press. Um, Michael actually went in quite the opposite direction in terms of let's let the audience and the press be part of discovery. Let them discover it. Let us not shove it down their throats. Um, and you can shove shows down people's throats and indeed it gets tons of attention and people know about it and, you know, and eventually maybe they go if it's any good. <coughs> we, he knew the show was good, so I said, oh, fine. The show's good, so let them discover it on their own. And the pleasure of discovering it as opposed to having it shoved down your throat and then seeing it and going, oh, it's good. If you feel like you're part of the discovery process, your enthusiasm is double. And so the press who were eventually, you know, led in on this um, and eventually shown little snippets and this and that just to keep it kind of bubbling. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very different, it was a very different process. It made the first week of previews a little <laughs> scary um, because we indeed hadn't sold all our tickets the first week of previews. Because again, we were trying to not come in waving a huge flag and screaming, hey, pay attention to us. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a matter of allowing the press to discover it. Um, begin to then tell the audience about it with the same air of, of freshness that the show reflected. It takes a lot of pressure off of the writers and director and choreographer as well. You, you get to work in a sort of a protected space. And uh, for someone like me who's never done it before, that was very valuable. And for someone like Terrence who's done it a million times before, it was probably even more valuable. Because, uh, and I, I mean, I imagine you found it the same to be true, too. Oh, absolutely. No mm -hmm. question about but, it. But there, 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 was word, there was word out. Everybody knew that out in California was this wonderful show. And they all really knew about it. We didn't see it, we, uh, but maybe some of us saw reviews, but we all knew I it. I think it was within really the industry. 
there was a there was a definite knowledge of the show. I mean, it was there was something brewing out there, and I think within the industry that's definitely true. Um, but, but you didn't get a, but you didn't hear word that oh they just pulled two songs and you know there was no hype, right? Like negative hype. Right. We're, we're hearing about uh, shows all the time that are out on the road. Some are struggling, some are not, and uh, we never heard anything about any struggle with with. Uh, Full Monty. We just knew it was a big success out there, and it was coming to New York. It was kind of like a, a steamroll. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, for those of us who've been around Broadway musicals for a long time, this again sounds like a, a, a fairy tale. It doesn't sound true. You don't talk about any problems you had out there. Just you decided what you're going to do, and you did it. And uh, there are always a series of professionals around the shows. Here, this group of professionals somehow you didn't fall in any trouble. What happened? Uh, Why? Actually, fairy tale is the way. I mean, Jack yeah. just—I mean, a day or two ago, I had to return to his theater in San Diego for some business there, and um, did call me and say, "You're not. This did happen, right? I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did like us. You are selling tickets, or has this all been a terrible joke? <laughs> you know, because um, we're also accustomed to the opposite. It's also, I think, part of certainly our working process. Jack and I have been running a theater for 20 years where we do 12, 13, 14 productions a year. You don't have either the luxury or the stress of one project making or breaking it for you. Lindsay is producing a m multiple films that way. And I think from the very beginning, that's the way we work, which is to say, I I've always considered my job to protect the artists as much as I can. Um, we've never invited the national press to the Old Globe when we've got something that we even think is pre-Broadway. for the, As a matter of fact, we're very clear not to. Now, a few snuck in on this one, which the night that we, happened, we, we were furious about yeah, it. We didn't know about Fortunately, that. they the liked Times, the show. The New York Times bought their own ticket and came to the show, which none of us knew about, actually. So we, we actually, when we part of it was strategic, and part of it was fortuitous. And I think we also, in our hiring practice, hired people who understood that and, and enjoyed that part of it. And, it all came together, so it, it wasn't all just good luck, but there was a lot of luck involved with it. I mean, we we worked hard to sort of stay undercover and keep the process going. Also, I have to say that this is this is you know we talk a lot about this, but it is at the heart of what goes on, which is uh, a sense of communication, open communication between everybody. It was a conscious effort on my part to keep everybody in the same room talking all the time. Uh, uh, because I have that relationship with these men, and it was very easy to do it with my collaborators. Uh, uh, that's how we did it. So every time we got to another wall or another place that we had to get over, uh, we were very careful to get together. Everybody expressed their opinions. Then we, we decided together what we were going to do. So there was never any uh, factionalizing. There was never any pulling apart. And that was a conscious effort to, to, to keep everybody on board at the same time. It this seems a good time to take a break because we're, f uh, and, and let's return. We're going to see if we can't somehow find out at what point there might have been some controversy. <laughs> let's take a break now. <laughs> we can't. And return. To this is CUNY TV. The City University of New York. Welcome back to the American Theatre Seminar on Working in the Theater. This seminar is on the production, the wonderful hit show that's on Broadway now, Full Monty. 
I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the American Theatre Wing. It's not only the seminars that we produce and the Tony Awards that is given for excellence in the theatre, but we are a year-round organization. And although these are the most visible of our programs, they are only a small part of the work we do for the community. As a not-for-profit charity, we serve both theatre and the community with our year-round programs. The Wing works to develop new audiences for the theatre, and in so doing, a broadening of young minds. We bring these young children to the theatre, and we bring the artists from the theatre to the schools. We find that the magic of theatre would otherwise not be given to these people, nor would it be able to broaden the minds of the young people. Programs for students include Introduction to Broadway, which in its eighth year has enabled more than 80,000 New York City school children, high school students, to attend a Broadway show, many for the first time. The Wing also introduces young people to the theater by bringing these professionals into schools for workshops as a part of our theater and school program. Additionally, the Wing's hospital program, which dates back to World War II when we created the legendary stage door canteens. We continue to entertain patients in hospitals, nursing homes, aid centers, and child care and hospice facilities in the New York area. With volunteer talent from Broadway, Off-Broadway, and the cabaret world, the wing continues to bring live entertainment, hope, and joy to those who are not able to go out and attend the magic of theater. With our grants and scholarship program, we provide essential funding where today it is so needed. We take pride in the work we do and remain so grateful to our members and everyone who makes the American Theatre Wings program possible. Our work strengthens the ties between theatre and the community, and we are proud to be a part of this great effort. And so now I would like to continue with our seminar on the production of The Full Monty. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, we've been hearing this saga of uh, the love fest in creating this show, and uh, it seems to me that I'd like to get a little deeper into uh, actually how everybody really uh, worked to get this uh, to the point where you really happen to, uh, to have such a great relationship moving on. Now, you've mentioned your background, but there's a lot of work that has to be done to create this show. And you didn't get any sense of that yet, as you described it. It all just seemed to go so nice and gently. <laughs> uh, tell about, I mean, people, people want to know what it really takes to produce a show. And I think we, uh, uh, it would help if you gave us a better clue of what you went through. Well, let's start with the fact that David's a son of a gun and I can't stand to work with him. <laughs> well, that's what we wanted to hear. That's the kind of thing we wanted to hear. Uh, well, we could talk about Lindsay. We could, t we could talk about Lindsay uh, in the same way. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's in very different ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, you're, you're, uh, it's a warm-hearted show that I think reflects an amount of love that the characters possess, but I must say it's also a reflection of the group of people who saw eye to eye. I mean, it's not going to make for ranging headlines for you, but it's a group of people who saw eye to eye from the very beginning of the process. Um, and the producer's main job on this was, you know, in addition to the obvious things like managing money and getting a theater and 
this and that was to provide as much space for those people to do the best work they could. Um, Jack is um, an amazing inspirational force in terms of in terms of getting people to focus on why a scene is not working. I mean, that's why the performances he gets from our cast, which have been one of the strengths of the show, everyone has lauded, is the reality of the performers, the ensemble on that stage, and how real they are, and how unusual that is. And in that same way, that ability to communicate is something Jack does especially well. And so, if Terrence would come in with a new scene that suddenly was terribly funny, but actually was off the mark in terms of where our characters are meant to be going, um, um, more than likely Jack, but sometimes the producers, would suddenly say, gee, I'm, do you think it should be, isn't that too, that's so mean-spirited of Jerry to say, or that's, is this right? I mean, it's, if you see eye-to-eye from the beginning, if there's a strong vision for the project, and if the people get along well and respect one another, then everyone's just free to do good work, as opposed to wasting a lot of energy, you know, with backbiting, or how are we going to get David to finally, you know, there, I mean, it just, it wasn't, to find what? It wasn't, what was it wasn't like? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying that doesn't, that's what didn't exist. I, so it's I did make one serious mistake, though. We were the last two oh. weeks in San Diego. We were, we were waiting for a song from David. <laughs> the last song, and I foolishly, thinking as an incentive, I would help him along, offered to take him to dinner at a restaurant of his choice. Unfortunately, he delivered the song late, and now I have to deliver on the dinner here in New York <laughs> rather than San Diego. So it's going to cost me a lot more. Well, but I, you know, I don't, first of all, I think it would be unfair to suggest that any of this was easy. I think we all got along well. I think there's an inordinate amount of trust that each of us has for one another uh, in the core group. And I think we made some decisions in terms of the other people that we brought to this project that just helped make that work. But if you trust someone, even at the height of the most difficult times, you know they're not making a suggestion for themselves. They're typically working on behalf of everyone, and I think that's what worked for us. But it was a long, tough process. I mean, David will be the first to tell you that there were there are four songs that I think that are out of the show from I when it's there are five songs the, from when it started. <laughs> yeah. Been replaced. There, Terrence. You'll hear them again in some something else. I'm sure. Terrence, quite literally, Jack was putting lines into the Broadway production the Monday night before the critics came on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, we were struggling with money every day. I mean, it, it, all of that. So I don't think to suggest this just was all smooth and easy, I think would be uh, unfair. To suggest that we all worked really well together out of, I think, mutual respect and an understanding of what we wanted to do, I think is, is true and correct. Um, but it's always a struggle. I, a musical, having produced 260-some-odd plays now in the last 22 years, Musicals are always the hardest because you, you're just layering need on top of need. You've got the book writer, and then you've got your composer, and you've got a musical staff, and you've got all those different people, uh, and there's never enough time. And their assistants. And, and their assistants. And you just don't have enough hours in the day, and I think ultimately it becomes, for us, we became the arbiters of who gets time, how does it work, a lot of explanation as to what we could and couldn't do. So that, that's always ongoing. David, I think we dropped a stitch a while back. Uh, you were giving us a nice, ba interesting background of yourself, and then we lost it. So why don't you pick up and tell us how you came to this chapter two. Uh, <laughs> we, um, I, I don't remember exactly where we dropped it, but uh, had we gotten to actually me getting, oh yeah, we were, we were at the process. Um, it, it, once the producers decided that it was okay to take a, a chance on me. Um, and I think that they went out and 
they listened to my uh, pre-existing two albums, my pop albums, and that was the first indication that maybe I could do this project. Uh, we all just started talking and <coughs> sort of seeing if we were if we had the same a similar vision, and uh, I went off and and did a few songs for the show. This is before there was anything really. Mm, um, there's no book. And uh, so sort of flying blind, but having the movie to think about and having some conversations with these guys and with Terrence, uh, I did, I think I did four songs, three of which we s are s we're still mm -hmm. using in the show. Um, and that was enough, uh, enough for them to keep me on for however much longer. You know, the, it, it's a risk, and, 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 but it's not a complete 100% risk because you can always bring on someone else at any stage. You don't want to, I'm sure, if you're a producer. It might be costly and not time efficient, but um, it, it, I don't think it took that, that long for me to feel like this was, a, this was my gig. I had this job and, you know, we could do it. Uh, I met with Terrence uh, in his apartment and he, the first question he asked is, how do you see this show? And I just said, guys and dolls, meaning that that's the feeling I would like to have when I see the show, and that's the feeling I'd like audiences to have. In other words, something that exists as uh, not a through-composed, um, sort of hyper-serious, at least in terms of what, what it considers to be uh, what the process of, of the show, um, something where there are scenes, where there are really strong book scenes that have a chance to breathe and get laughs, and then songs. Um, <coughs> and most importantly, just don't, Terrence himself said, don't, let's not try to recreate the American musical. You know, let's just try to do something very entertaining. And that was, that was, I think that was all of our vision from the beginning. Uh, I'm not sure where to go from well, here. Well, you did, here, you wrote the, uh, both the music and lyrics. Now, uh, some of our best com uh, creators on, on Broadway don't, undertake trying to do both music and lyrics. And here, your first time out, you do it, and you're a big success. Where, I mean, where do you go now? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I, you know, we, the reviews came out on Friday. This is Wednesday. Uh, and a lot of that is, I know that I'm going to finish my album, the album that I sort of put on hold to finish up the full Monty. Uh, and I'll put that out. Um, but in the meantime, let's see Let's see what other people think. Well, <laughs> I hope they I feel the same way. You want to? You would like to do uh, continue on Broadway? I'd like to continue in the theater. Well, uh, we'd like to have you. That's why well, I'm pretty oh, happy thank to you. say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Broadway would be nice. Uh, I'll take I'll take other other venues too. But you know, there was something about this process. Uh, the, I, I think I'm spoiled. Uh, I think we all got along so well. We were all so. Uh, you know, there are egos, but. It's if you if you if you're all working towards the same goal, you you find yourself sort of sharing a, one big ego instead of a lot of little egos bouncing into each other. Mm -hmm. um, that was the to me one of the most rewarding parts of this sort of learning how to collaborate, learning how to take direction. Uh, in my band, I I don't I hire my musicians and I tell them what to do and we discuss things, but it's not really a, it's collaborative, but you know, if, if I want to make the last decision, I do. Uh, in this show, and I guess in any show, 
um, it, it's so, uh, the collaboration is so intense all the time that you just don't do that. It's really foreign to me. And I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it because these, these two producers, um, really every decision they made uh, and passed down uh, built my confidence in their ability to produce a, a show. Um, I've, worked, I've worked in advertising and had the client uh, say, say things that just make you just, just want to get it over with, slit your wrists and, le and just fin you know, get, get, get it done with. Uh, I've been in the record business and had people who are supposed to be looking out for you and selling your records just make bad suggestion after bad suggestion. Uh, and I've also you know, worked in TV and films and had producers who... As a writer. As a writer, mm -hmm. and who just did seem to not know what they were doing. In this case, these guys really know what they're doing. They got great senses of humor. Um, in fact, the, when we first all met, I think it was in, at Terrence's country house, and I went up with, with Jack and with Lindsay in the, in the limo, and I was a little nervous because I had never really in person met either of them. And I just sat in the front listening to them for three hours, just <laughs> joke and, and just laugh hysterically the whole way up, and I knew I was in in good company. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let me just switch gears a little bit. We often hear that uh, a lot of the problems in, the, in our industry uh, relate to unions. Now, uh, as the general manager, you have to deal with, what, uh, at least a dozen unions on this show. And how did it fare on this? With the same love fest that uh, happened in the creative team? Well, I don't know that you can call a relationship with a union a love fest, <laughs> but uh, uh, we didn't have problems with the unions. Again, I think it goes back to what Lindsay said, which was from day one, everyone involved knew what they wanted and plotted it out. They didn't have to worry about raising the money. They had a timeline. So much of what goes wrong with a union is you've told a group of union workers that we're going to do this on Monday and this on Tuesday and this on Wednesday, and when you suddenly have to change it because you can't meet the schedule, that's when you're in trouble because you haven't given the proper notice or something. We didn't have any of those experiences. We were able to stay on our schedule perfectly, and therefore everyone's expectations were met. Well, tell us, for example, how many musicians, how many stagehands, how many dressers, oh, actors, understudies. I can tell you how many musicians. Yes. Undressers, right, exactly. What is that? Well, we have a conductor and 12 musicians. Um, we have 29 equity members. We have 13 stagehands on the local one crew and six stagehands on our pink contract crew, a wardrobe supervisor, a Two, uh, two wardrobe supervisors, a hair supervisor, uh, seven dressers. Um, I can't begin to tell you how many ushers and ticket takers, but I'd say maybe 13 to 22. You probably can from writing all those <laughs> opening night cards, right? <laughs> it sounds like you have uh, close to 100 people then involved. Uh, in, I would in, say in probably uh, 70 plus. Well, and if you add, if you add house, house staff, right. it's clearly over right. 100. And Yet the audience goes in and they see, they remember a half a dozen people and maybe there are some women in, in the cast uh, totally you know, the same amount. So they see maybe a dozen people that they retain. And here it is, a hundred people who they don't see doing the show. And you didn't have difficulty with them. Uh, we really didn't have difficulty. I, this show didn't have difficulty. You know, it's a cliche to mm -hmm. say, but there weren't problems. There were challenges because mm -hmm. nothing is easy and it takes work. But Everyone had the common goal, and I do think the material, um, as has been said before, <coughs> affects your own heart, and you mm -hmm. fall in love 
And once you're in love, you want to do it. You want to make it happen. But, uh, and I, if right down to the head usher. I mean, she walks in and beams every night. Uh, I worked with her on Grease. She was thrilled to see me. I said, you're going to love this show. It's fantastic. I'm sure she's heard that a million times before. She came up yeah. to me the first, after the first performance. She says, you're right. I loved mm -hmm. it. It's fantastic. It's just... Um, it, it infiltrates everything. Is it true that the ushers come down in the front at, uh, at the very end of the show to see the full Monty? <laughs> <laughs> Only a couple. <laughs> I don't know, what is a full Monty? <laughs> Good question. The yeah. full Monty, um, why don't you just demonstrate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> The full Monty uh, is an expression derived um, from a habit that General George Montgomery had in World War II, which was prior to battle, he would sit down in the field and have an enormous full breakfast of kippers and rashers of bacon and toast and eggs, and they would say that breakfast was the full Monty, meaning it was everything. So the full Monty in, in England is an expression like ours of the whole nine yards. It doesn't mean taking off your clothes. It's going all the way, or, you know, this thing, you know, we're going the whole nine yards. Now, in the world of strippers, going all the way is indeed taking off all your clothes. So that's how it applies to our show. But the full Monty, in and of itself, does not mean taking off your clothes. It means going all the way. Uh, and in terms of uh, taking off all your clothes, <laughs> how, how, are, how are you handling that with the press? Uh, well, I think it's important to all of us that people know once again, coupled with the information that people already have from seeing the film, that people understand that it's not, they're not going to come and see a two and a half hour musical that's all about stripping. Because the stripping is the end result of what the entire show is about. It leads up to this moment. Um, and it's about liberation. It's about, um, it's about love and support from people in your life. It's, a lot of, it's about so many things. But... Um, as far as the publicity goes, I think that the press is, is always want to have something to identify a two-and-a-half-hour show with by a single image or a single sentence of description. And clearly, we knew that we were going to be faced with the challenge of, okay, how do we let people know that it's about so much more than stripping? Well, you know, all of the photos that have run uh, to date have most, the, most of the time been right at the moment of the strip. Um, but I think that what we've done is we've, we've allowed ourselves to have, once again, trusting, everybody trusting, and <laughs> I think this is a good time also to say that uh, the entire cast has been phenomenal uh, about helping the publicity effort on the show, specifically the six guys that strip in the show, because what they've had to do is they've had to function as a unit, publicity-wise. Everybody wants pictures of the six of them. Everybody wants to speak to the six of them. And... Uh, I think the harmony that you see on stage is real, and I've witnessed it on a day-to-day -day basis working with these guys because they're all so agreeable. Once again, uh, as a trust established between the publicity department and the cast, uh, they certainly wouldn't walk into a photo shoot ready to take their clothes off unless they thought they were being protected and that we were positioning it correctly. Um, Enough of, but this talk. Enough of this talk. Are we going to see, are we going to get a chance to see well, without going I, to the theater? I, I, I sent you tape. I think you have tape if you want to, if you'd like to... Uh, well, I think maybe we've got to find out what it is you're talking about. Well, you'll only, you, of course, you'll only see up to a certain point. And I, I just, at this point, on, on behalf of all of us, wanted to disclaim that you do see the full Monty. As the cast always likes to say in interviews, they don't call it the half Monty. So <laughs> you won't see that on this tape, but you will in the theater. Well, why don't we take a look at it? Can you go to the videotape? 
Let's go to the videotape. Let it go, let it go. Loosen up, yeah, let it go. Let it go, let it go. It's alright. Let it go, let it go. Shake it up now, let it go. Just tell me when you think you're ready. Let it go, let it go. Loosen up, yeah, let it go. Let it go, let it go. It's alright. about a minute and a half more of that number. Much more uh, revealing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that exciting. I guess, I guess that's the difference between free television and paying your way to the theater. <laughs> that's right. You know what, I, I also have to say about the, the moment of nudity at the end of the show that you see. It's, I, I've, I've watched shows before where nudity is involved, and I think that, that most of the time it's, it's uncomfortable for an audience to watch it or for an audience to be there because they feel innately uncomfortable for the person on stage who's in the, in the buff. But in this show, as I said, it's the culmination of everything that's happened on stage. There is, it, it's the opposite of that. It's the antithesis of being uncomfortable for them. It's, you're pulling for them, and you see the audience. Sometimes I like to go and stand on the side and watch the audience as it's happening. Oh, sure, Michael. We but you see, you see the, the joy of the audience. The, uh, it's it's this, this anticipation of, oh, these guys that, who they've fallen in love with over the last two and a half hours are actually going to do it. And you, you see, it's, there's, no, there's no sense of, of being uncomfortable for them in the least. It's, it's really a lovely thing to see. There was, there was a, there, uh, you know, in terms of life reflecting art and art reflecting life, whichever, but in San Diego, I mean, they knew from reading the script, indeed, what was going to happen at the end, but there did have to be a first time they would finally do this. And evidently, unbeknownst to Tom and I, the six actors had sat down and asked to chat with Jack and said, we will do it. We're not going to chicken out, but we're not doing it at the technical rehearsals. We're not doing it at the dress rehearsal. We will do it for the first time in front of an audience. Um, um, that's the only way we're going to be able to do this. And Jack honored that, said, fine, okay, there's some lighting things we have to look at and this and that, but you can do that in your G-strings. And at that very first performance in San Diego, and I remember, I mean, all of us, I said, you know, this will, and, and actually I remember specifically talking to you saying, there will never again be a first performance of the Fulmonte. It was actually quite moving. And that <laughs> night, um, the guys, our six actors, were the guys in our story. Mm -hmm. Because for the, they, as six, you know, equity performing artists <laughs> with, you know, distinguished <laughs> credits, were working their way towards, you know, a performance at the end of which they were going to take off all their clothes for their very first time in front of 650 strangers in the Old Globe Theater. And it was, it was remarkable for them. It was, I mean, they were just, it was, it was actually an extremely moving moment in terms of, you know, the two things actually blending. Which, well, again, never happened again. It was the first time it was ever going to happen. I feel I have to say, for those of you who have not seen it, and for our audience who has not yet seen it, the, 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 it's not embarrassing. I mean, uh, it's done in terms of lighting and uh, in a very artful way that, that is not confrontational. So you utterly know that they've taken their clothes off, but it isn't like us sitting out here with 
all this light on. <laughs> Thank so, God. You know, <laughs> we, we, we drew the line at that. And was that yours? Was that your doing? Did you devise that clever way? It was. Uh, we taught. We all. Uh, we devised it together. But it was always my determination right at the beginning. I knew. I mean, the film ends with a freeze frame from the back, so that you know what goes on. You can't really achieve that on the stage, although it occurred to me to try at one point. I mean, I, early on, I was wondering how to do this. And then I always knew that I was going to do something so distracting, so surprising, that you would be taken off guard. And then uh, Jerry Mitchell and I sort of evolved uh, from that in terms of the lighting effect that we finally got. We finally figured out how we could do both things and not upset anybody and yet not and yet honor our commitment because people who saw the movie know that they have to do it so you we've got to do it and uh, we do what's the percentage of those who saw the movie do you know the, uh, the, uh, sorry the percentage of those who saw the movie who are seeing the show you mean yeah uh, it must be overwhelming i mean that was one of the most attended films yeah. It's, uh, um, where, where do we do it? We did do a raise your hand. Where do we do that? It's, it's, um, um, I'm sure half, but it's not, yeah. it's not larger than that, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the movie was extremely successful in New York City. Um, um, we did surveys back in February and March in terms of people who'd seen the movie. Would you be likely to attend a Broadway musical oh version right. of it and things like that? Are you um, planning more full monies? We are presently meeting, um, in regard to a national a, a tour of North America, um, um, and Tom and I are beginning to, uh, we seem to go to the show every night and then have dinner with a different nation's producers. Um, there are any number of countries who want to put on their own full Monty, so we've been um, exploring that. But we're still we're still in the state of you know this kind of Euphoria. glow that exists from last week. It's only. I mean, for those who are actually watching this, you know, in terms of the, the videotape version, it's only three days ago this all happened, so we're all still stunned. Um, in it. <laughs> well, I think some of the questions you're going to have to ask yourself, and we're not going to be able to define them now, is uh, are you going to keep the same language uh, when you tour the show, or are you going to have to temper it a little bit when you get outside of New York, uh, and as well as outside of this country? But uh, I must tell you that uh, we could probably go on for uh, another hour and uh, never really learned everything there is to know about how to produce a show as successful as the Full Monty. Regrettably, our time has run out, so I think it's time to thank each of you for being with us today, and we want to wish you great success in the future on this and other shows, now that you've given up your day job <laughs> and are really devoting yourself to producing for Broadway. Thank you so much for coming and being part of this.